0: Hi, and welcome back to TPI's podcast, To Think Minimum. It's Tuesday, August 20, 2019, and we're here in Aspen, Colorado at the 2019 TPI Aspen Forum. I'm Sarah O, oh, Senior Fellow at the Technology Policy Institute. Today we're excited to talk with Dimitri Sorata, CEO and co-founder of Big ID. Dimitri is the CEO of one of the first enterprise privacy management platforms called Big ID and a privacy and identity expert. He is an established serial entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and strategist, and previously founded two enterprise software companies focused on security and API management, which um, Layer 7 Technologies, which was sold to CA Technologies in 2013. Welcome, Dimitri. Thank you for speaking at the Aspen Forum.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: First, could you tell us a little bit more about Big ID's products and your journey with this company?
1: Sure. So the journey basically started with a PowerPoint about uh, three years ago, maybe a little bit over three years ago. Um, and the origin story of the company was really uh, to help organizations better safeguard the data they collect and process on individuals, on customers, on employees, on clients. And uh, clearly there was a, a sense um uh, prior to starting the company, that whatever was was being invented in Silicon Valley and and Israel in terms of security, was insufficient because you still read in the headlines about massive breaches, misuses, and and so forth. And uh, it struck me that part of the challenge was that organizations had very very poor visibility. Into what data they actually have on their customers and employees. They have different teams building applications to collect as much information as they can. That information gets spread throughout the corporate uh, environment across various kinds of databases and, and clouds and so forth. And not knowing what data they have makes it very, very hard to secure that data. Um, so, in starting Big ID, myself and my co founder, who's based out of Tel Aviv, Uh, we realized that there was an opportunity to provide an accounting-like framework to help organizations better uh, guard and better govern uh, the data they collect and process and in so doing, address emerging privacy regulations like the California Consumer Privacy uh, Act, as well as just become better stewards of uh, personal information.
0: That's great. So You mentioned accounting methods. What were companies doing before your solution?
1: Uh, they weren't doing much. Um, so I think uh, from a security standpoint, historically, companies really focused on trying to lock down the edges, right? So maybe it's the access to a server. Maybe it's the access to a network via a firewall. Maybe it's ensuring that somebody provides more than just a, a username, password, like some kind of biometric to get into something. So it was very much kind of a, a door, doorway type of strategy. And uh, clearly that was insufficient. People were still finding ways, whether it was through the windows, uh, whether it was through the help uh, of getting inside. And one way to secure what's inside the contents and the data that's stored, whether it's in AWS, in Azure, in a NetApp server, in an EMC server, whatever, um, is really to just know what you have there. And if you know what you have, you have an opportunity to make certain decisions around it whether it's to minimize it or delete it, why keep stuff you don't need. Um, You can make decisions around deduplication. You can make decisions around encryption. You can make decisions around tokenization. Um, There are a lot of things you could do, but knowing what the problem is and knowing where the data is is the first step.
0: I can imagine that this platform, you would collect lots of different types um, of categories of personal information or or privacy levels. So can you tell us a little bit more about How do you tag a piece of data um, for its level of privacy? So we don't
1: uh, tag explicitly. We actually took a very different approach. Um, We used almost a tautology in defining what is personal data. So if you look at the privacy regulations that are getting introduced, uh, be they European like GDPR or or U.S. like CCPA, um, they revolve around this notion that uh, companies are responsible for all personal data they collect and process without necessarily defining what that personal data is. So if you look at a lot of the breach regulations passed over, over a decade, a lot of them are a lot more explicit about the kind of data, credit card, social security. The privacy regs are, are more broad. Uh, they care about all the data that a person produces or that is about them. And so as a consequence, when we were starting Big ID, we took a very different approach. We said that the key thing was understanding how connected certain data is back to a person to define if that data is personal, right? So if you could basically map some piece of information back to a person, um, there's some personal um, uh, connection or correlation to it. And so as a consequence, one of the things we did is we said, look, it's not enough to just tell you what type of data. You actually have to measure how connected and related that data is to a person to figure out if it's personal. And uh, that's a unique thing that we have. And part of the reason we've, we've had success over the past three years, as, as companies are contending with some of these requirements around individual data rights, and the need for a company to be able to find all the data that belongs to a person, you need a novel approach to understanding what data is personal.
0: Interesting. So at TPI, we do research on privacy and we try and measure the harms um, from data breach. And so there are some statistics about, you know, the price of a credit card on the on the black market. Credit card number is very low compared to, I don't know, a, a more piece, a personal piece of property like a fingerprint. Or um, Do you internally have a sense of... Um, how valuable pieces of information are.
1: Uh, so there's a there's kind of a two senses of value. There's kind of the dollar sense, right, in terms of what somebody, a bad actor, could sell your information to, and they usually sell it in bulk. But there's also the value to me. If I'm in a car accident, the car accident may not necessarily be be large in the sense that if the car was total and so forth. But even but it could be a nuisance, right? So for me, that may mean that I have to get a new credit card. And have to change all my subscriptions. Uh, it may mean that I have to get a particular uh, identity protection service. Uh, it's the value to me of my information goes above and beyond just the economic value of what a what a bad actor could sell it for. Um, there's all the other kind of uh, mechanics of it, and I think increasingly people, as our lives shift online, and we've seen you know truly the decimation of the retail industry, the old brick and mortar. Uh, landscape as everybody basically now interacts online, whether it's through social networks, whether it's through e-commerce networks, whether it's with their car and automotive, um, increasingly people are fearing about how their data gets used, how it gets processed, how it gets shared, and they want some degree of transparency and accountability around that. And so I think it goes far and above just a dollar value, clearly the dollar value matters and people have ascribed you know, $200 in the cost of a, of a corporation to be able to uh, respond and, and defend a person's identity. But beyond that, um, there's a responsibility that companies have in terms of how they interact with their customers online. And conversely, customers expect more of those companies if they're gonna give them something personal, their data, whether it's a thumbprint, their credit card, their location information. They expect a degree of responsibility and accountability from the corporation.
0: Interesting. So your product is helping firms be more trustworthy. So yesterday there was a panel about how much do we trust um, big tech? How how much do we trust big companies? And we hear about data breaches and so that kind of lowers trust levels. Um, How do you see the industry adopting your technology solution? Are they open to... Um, implementing big ID
1: yeah so obviously the fact that we've grown from two people three years ago I think we're approaching 150 now and we've we've raised uh, in excess of 100 million dollars so and that's that's a reflection of the fact that there's been some adoption now is every corporation uh, using our product not yet you know maybe in another five six years um, but certainly I think we've had an experienced um, above above average growth and I think that's just a reflection that with more of these regulations emerging, CCPA and GDPR being the most notable, uh, but certainly there's draft bills across I think 14 or 15 U.S. states. There's now 135 countries uh, that have some some form of legislation or, or bill uh, around privacy. It's becoming increasingly critical that companies think about privacy as a first order problem. And I'm going to give you some some analogies of where you've seen this kind of um, this kind of occurrence. Um, for what we do in data in, in prior kind of uh, environments. So even 100 years ago, prior to the advent of any computer in the 1920s, there were issues around transparency and accountability in financial transactions. And so a whole firmament of uh, regulations and standards were established in terms of how companies need to be able to uh, record and report on you know what money comes in, what money goes out, right? So this is kind of from 1920 on. Um, And in a similar vein, if you think about data as the new currency, to date, there really hasn't been any form of accountability. You don't really know what data goes in. You don't really know what data goes out um, and how the data gets used in between. And so you're seeing an increasing pressure for that. Now, again, we also witnessed some of this with e-commerce. It took time for people to trust their websites but to get there, we had to implement things like SSL. We had to implement certain standards and certifications around websites. Uh, we had to int- introduce things like PCI to give people assurances that the credit cards are going to be protected. And now, again, as more of our daily experience shifts online, I think you're seeing that same amount of emphasis placed on your data more broadly.
0: I think it's really interesting. I haven't heard this take of the accounting Uh, framework. So we have like gap accounting. And so that's kind of a standardized way that companies can record on on the books, um, what assets they have. Um, Is that it sounds like that's how you're thinking about data? It
1: it is because I think data is what fuels value to a company, right? The most important asset a company has today is not the physical store where Barney's, which is has just I think Declare bankruptcy again, um, it's not the physical NetApp server, which sounds kind of ridiculous. It's not uh, your mobile phone. It's the data. It's the ephemeral information about your customers, your clients, your intellectual property. Those are the things that are of value. And yet we have asset management and asset tracking for mobile phones, for laptops, for physical servers that are bolted down to the data center, and yet not for data. And if data is truly the kind of unit and currency of business today, of modern online digital uh, business, it would make sense that we have some means of recording and accounting for that for that business. And yet it hadn't really existed. I think the regulations like CCPA and GDPR are attempting to think about data as that new um, um, and uh, uh, that new kind of unit of currency for the digital economy and introducing types of types of accounting uh, controls. And, you know, I'm going to give you an example uh, that's re- very relevant to data. And I think it's an important one. And it kind of speaks to the run on the banks that you had in the you know before Gap and so forth. Um, so in the end of the day, if you go to a bank and deposit a check, you have confidence that that bank is going to be an effective steward they're not going to take that money and do whatever they please and have no accounting system to know that it belongs to you and and so forth. And that anytime you want to be able to take it out from an ATM or through some other payment means that it's available to you. And yet for data that doesn't exist, right? You deposit information to companies all the time in the background, your apps are running in the background, you get into a modern car, it's connected to the cloud, um, you walk into your house. Siri says hello. Maybe maybe uh, Google Echoes or Google um, uh, Google Assistant says hello. Maybe maybe Echo says hello. Um, so you're surrounded by information that you're giving over, and yet there hasn't really been any any form of accounting in the corporation. And I think that's led to situations where there's been bad outcomes, like in like in health healthcare in terms of breaches. Um, and so I think that that is one of the things. That's the big idea, if you will, a big ID is that if you institute proper controls uh, and accounting, uh, you're going to be able to be more accountable to your customer and provide greater transparency, greater value, uh, and ultimately greater security.
0: Yeah, this is actually really fascinating to me because yesterday on the productivity panel, we were talking about how our economy is moving towards intangibles. So one reason why economic data is not showing productivity growth, some say, is because the value of our assets is derived from intangibles that are not well measured in GAAP or on the books. Um, And I didn't know, but I guess your approach is to treat data um, as different types of assets. So maybe this is beyond your product um, platform or why companies use your product for privacy compliance, but do you see emerging ways that companies think about their data in terms of like depreciation? Is old data less valuable to them, or are bundles of data more valuable? Is that something that your platform helps companies look at?
1: Yeah, there's two sides to that question, and I think one is risk and one is value. And I'm going to give you an example. So obviously, we we help companies meet certain obligations that they have under CCPA and GDPR. I'm going to give you one example that's common to both uh, privacy regs, and really what I I believe is kind of the essence of the emerging privacy use cases, um, which is that every individual has a legal right to their data. You know, in in Europe, they regard it as a human right. I would argue that in the U.S., they regard it as a property right. Uh, But what they share in common is that individuals have a right to access, in some instances, a right to erasure or deletion, a right to portability. But this notion that just because I gave you my data, I'm still allowed to get it back. Now, that requires a complete rethink from an organizational standpoint, because companies historically just collect all the stuff. They may put it in a big data warehouse and then run analytics on it. Uh, But they never really try and keep track of it. They never really try and figure out, you know, which data belonged to Dimitri, which data belonged to, you know, whomever else. And so now they have to all of a sudden account for it. And not just by type of data, but by the association or attribution to a person. So that's a complete rethink. So that's kind of one of the things that uh, Big ID helps with. But flip it around. So if you're able to all of a sudden account for what data you've collected on Dimitri across your AWS, across your Azure, across your Google Compute, across your SAP, across your Salesforce, across your Workday, across your NetApp file shares, across your uh, Teradata, Snowflake, et cetera. There's all these places you could kind of uh, bolt hole or, or um, rattle data nowadays. Um, if you're able to do that, what else are you able to do? All of a sudden, you have a picture of that person. You know how you've interacted with that person across your lines of business, maybe across your geographies. That's incredibly valuable. You also may know that I have data that I haven't touched or accessed in ages. I've collected it maybe eight years ago and it's not healthcare data, it's not financial data. Maybe I don't need to keep that data. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to back it up to the cloud, maybe there's an opportunity for me to delete it. And so in the knowing, in being able to address this checkbox around this personal data right or individual data right, as the Californians refer to it, I'm able to also answer two other things. How risky is my data based on what it is, where it is, whose it is, but then also get a new picture of that information, a new picture of how I interact with that customer, which again, increases the value of that customer to me as a a corporation.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating because in privacy regulation around the FTC, they need to have some sort of value attached to privacy. And that's such a hard question for privacy scholars, economists that need to inform the regulators um, about costs of their privacy regulation. As an entrepreneur who's working with companies, is all the noise from Washington and Brussels Is it noise or does it affect um, your business directly?
1: Well, for us, obviously, to some degree, we're an answer to the question, right? We're a response to these new uh, requirements that are being introduced. I think these requirements are obviously just the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Um, What they, again, force companies is into this new posture where they now need to be able to account for the data they collect, process, and share. Uh, to a much finer degree than they have in the past, right? And they need to be able to shine a light on it, right? Um, and so for us, it's important. I think, obviously, a lot of our clients would wish that federally in the U.S. there be some agreement, uh, some shape uh, around a uniform privacy regulation. My suspicion is that it's not going to get done in this administration uh, or this, uh, this Congress, maybe in the next uh, and it may take the introduction of one, two, three, four, five, six uh state, state regimes all varying a little bit to provide enough impetus for kind of the, the Democrats, the Republicans to uh, work across uh, across uh, the House and, and Senate and get some of this done.
0: So maybe one last question to wrap up and it's technical, but um, you can try it explained to me, how do you track the provenance of data across all those clouds? So are the computer programmers, um, is your code attached to what they're coding or do they have to enter in what they're doing with the data?
1: No, they don't. So um, essentially what we do, you know, the analog I'm going to share without going into too much detail that'll bore your audience, is a little bit about how Google many years ago started building a way to index the internet. Google didn't go out and copy the internet. They found a way to score the relevancy of one website to another website based on the number of links, uh, maybe based on other parameters, and I think there's now about 200 parameters that they use in what they call page rank to be able to score the relevancy of one website to another. In a similar way, what we're actually doing behind the scenes is building a graph or a relationship map showing how connected this little piece of data maybe in this file is connected to this piece of data in a, in a server, which is connected to this data in a, in a data lake connected to, And so that graph resides kind of in the product, but it's just a graph. It's just a relationship map. It's not actually a copy of the data. The data stays wherever your developers and engineers decided they wanted it, wherever it's performing the function that it needs to perform. What we are basically doing is building kind of this... Uh, map on top of it. And it really is a map. And just like a map, it gives you an ability to navigate the data. It gives you an ability to um, uh, understand the data, understand the risk and so forth. But the map is kind of separate from the geographic locations. And so in so doing, we're able to build organizations and inventory of this asset, this critical asset, whether it's in an unstructured file in a relational database in a a, a dupe cluster, whatever that is, um, and, again, help them navigate them and help them answer not only these critical privacy questions like, what data am I sharing with a third party and do I have the appropriate consent or what data do I have on this individual and how do I report that back to that individual? But we're also gonna, we're also able to give them insight, intelligence, what we actually call data intelligence around this asset, which we, we would argue could be either the most toxic thing that they collect or the most valuable thing. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, with with some of the innovations we've introduced, we can make this asset far less toxic and far more valuable.
0: Interesting. So I guess one final follow-up. It sounds like large enterprise companies um, can afford to have a privacy group and compliance to maybe collect that map. What about small startups that are just, you know, spinning up a, Database, or um, do they need to update a map, or does your um, software automatically collect that data?
1: So they need to be a customer of Big ID, but <laughs> um, but yeah, the the software itself—it's not a manual. We're trying to replace manual efforts, right? And uh, I'm going to use another example from uh, kind of the archive: uh, Sarbanes Oxley. When Sarbanes was introduced in 2006, to provide greater visibility into what controls uh, people had over who touches and accesses data and, and systems. It was all done manually. You'd hire one of the big four firms. They'd come in, they'd interview people, they'd provide kind of an audit report and then a, kind of a, a spreadsheet as a, as a work product. You know, fast forward maybe 12 years, you now have an industry called the identity and access industry, which spans a lot of branching, uh, you know, small branches, just like you had in a kind of a hominid, uh, kind of a human history map, um, of things like authentication or single sign on. And really, what those technologies were introduced to do is to automate uh, this problem of being able to report and control who has access to what data or what application. In a similar vein, if you look at companies like Big ID, we're really trying to automate what today is largely a manual process. Today, the way it works is you would hire a big four or one of the other kind of uh, outsourcers. They come in. They interview people. They ask them, "Where did you put your data? You know, how are you using their data?" And they they basically generate a work product, which would be a visio with some directionality for each data process, and and a, and a kind of a spreadsheet with an inventory. Clearly, that's not very efficient in terms of time and effort. Clearly, it's not very detailed. You you know, people don't have recollections of where they put Dimitri's data. They and the other thing is, at the end of the day, relying on recollections over records is not accurate. You're not going to get good outcomes if it's not truly reflective of what you're trying to protect and safeguard. So what we're doing is we're adding automation. We're providing a, a way for companies to do this in the background. And we believe that, you know, again, in 10 years, 12 years time, this will be as natural as having accounting software. When accounting software was first introduced, or accounting methodologies, it may have been a burden. People are going, oh, it's a new process that we have to follow and it's going to require new people. But today, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any company that that views their accounting accounting software as a cost burden. It's really a way for them to manage their business. And in a similar way, I think tools like Big ID will not only be able to answer these immediate problems in the privacy regs, but ultimately, help people run their businesses. If you truly believe that the most important currency and asset that they have is their data, tools like Big ID are going to be essential.
0: Great. Well, with that, thank you so much, Dimitri, for an introduction to Big ID. And it sounds like um, you have a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs>
1: yeah, thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you.